Emotional regulation is something that needs to be taught at a young age to children. And imagine if you didn't learn it in your childhood and on top of it, you had an ADHD brain. And then on top of it, let's say you had some trauma in childhood as well. So you've got a perfect storm going on in your brain. And in adulthood, you wonder why you can't manage your emotions, why you have so many big feelings and why is it that you can't figure it out? Well, in this episode, my special guest, Dr. Jody Carrington talks about emotional regulation, childhood trauma, and how it all needs to be taught to us in, at a young age, how to deal with this brain of ours and what we need to do. This episode, you don't want to only listen to it once. You want to listen to it a second time with a notepad and taking notes because it's jam-packed with a whole bunch of goodies. Welcome, welcome, Jody. Thank you so much for accepting to be in my little impactful podcast. I am delighted to have you on the show. I saw you a few months ago back on the stage in Calgary, and um, you were talking about connection and emotional dysregulation, regulation, how we're wired to do this, all that good jazz. And I said, this woman gives me goosebumps every sentence that she says. I need to have a one-on-one with her and share her voice a little bit broader and into my ADHD community. So I'm humbled that you're with me today. I appreciate you. Well, thank you so much, Kathy. I just loved even before we press record, just getting to know a little bit about, you know, this community that you're you're sort of pulling together. I think it's amazing. I just wish there was more places to have these hard conversations because I think it's really important. Yes, absolutely. So let's get into the meat of it. Just before I press record, we were talking about emotional regulation and how it shows up with the ADHD brain and some of the challenges. So what were your thoughts on that? Yeah, I love, you know, so I'm a a child psychologist by training. I've done a lot of work in trauma. I've done a lot of work with police officers. I was a civilian member of the RCMP for a couple of years. And um, it, I think, when I took my first job at the Alberta Children's Hospital in Calgary, I worked on a locked psychiatric inpatient unit for kids. And um, there was lots of discussion around diagnoses and labeling and, you know, how do we make sense of kids' stories? How do we make sense of, you know, the people who are walking them uh, through their hard things? How do we conceptualize cases? And for me, I didn't learn, learn this in grad school, but I certainly learned it from these kids and families was the heart of any struggle, emotional, physical, mental illness in particular, is this understanding of emotional regulation. And it wasn't even a concept that was clear to me after getting a PhD. It became very clear after. And the definition of emotional regulation is how to stay calm in times of big emotion, how to not lose your friggin' mind, okay? And what that means is I need to keep my prefrontal cortex intact. So from a neurological perspective, Dan Siegel speaks a lot about this. From a neurological perspective, when your prefrontal cortex is on, he thinks about it or he describes it as a lid. And at the very basis of our brain is the very primitive ways that all of us as human beings and mammals regulate emotion, which is fight, flight, or freeze. Mm -hmm. All of us have that. Mm -hmm. The prefrontal cortex wraps around the limbic system. And that is where you start to learn the strategies to regulate emotion, how to take a deep breath, how to stay calm in times of distress, how to use your words. Everything we've ever learned in our life lives in our prefrontal cortex as human beings. And so the middle name of your partner, 
how to judge a heifer. I'm from rural Alberta. How to, uh, the pin number to your bank card, anything that you've ever learned in your life, empathy, kindness, compassion, where you stand on Black Lives Matter, anything you've ever learned in your life lives in that prefrontal cortex. Okay, so Dan Siegel says, when your prefrontal cortex, I want you to think about it like a lid. If it's over top of your limbic system, over the fight, flight, and freeze stuff. When that lid is on, it dominates. You have access to everything you know, how to be kind, how to use your words. He says, I want you to think about this. Have you ever flipped your lid? Lost your friggin' mind? Huh? Of course, we all do. When we bring a baby home from the hospital, they've only got one strategy to let us know what they need, they flip their lid. They lose their friggin' minds. They cry when they need big people to respond to them and help them walk home. Ram Das is one of my favorite philosophers, and he said this, we are all here walking each other home. Mm. And this is very true of parents and kids, is that our job, we, we have one primary job, if you own a kid or teach a kid or love a kid, and that is to help them regulate emotion. Because you can't tell somebody how to calm down, you got to show them, right? Yeah. I can never say to an infant, hey, Calm down. Use your words. I have to do this. Hmm. Hmm. Okay. Okay. Hmm. And you, I know you can't see this on the podcast, but I'm rocking because we're wired for connection. And intuitively, primitively, if I put a crying baby in your arms, you will attempt to soothe them. Even if you're a 65-year-old farmer who has never hold the, held the baby in their life, if I gave you a crying child, a police officer on the side of the road who has to snuggle an infant may have no... right. We'll do this. Yeah, mm-hmm. totally. Okay. So we're wired for connection. We're, uh, we're wired for this co-regulation. The only way I teach you how to regulate emotion is I show you how to do it. The more often people have that intact in their early years of development, the better off they are when they get into adulthood. Okay. Mm-hmm. A couple of things flip your lid most, uh, more often than the average bear. Trauma is one of them, a trauma history mm-hmm. or a neurological condition. Okay, so if you are wired sensitively, if you're in the autism spectrum, for example, uh, if you have a a clinical anxiety disorder, if you have ADHD, it will flip your lid a whole lot faster because there are certain parts, there's certain parts of your brain that make it much more difficult to pay attention, to concentrate, to stay focused, to not lose track of time to do all those things, okay? Mm Mm-hmm. Here's the critical thing that's really tricky is that the diagnostic, the symptom presentation of ADHD is very clear. It very clearly aligns with the, with the uh, explanation for emotional dysregulation, mm-hmm. right? I'm going to flip yeah. my lid real quick, right? So both those things are very hard to distinguish as a child psychologist, particularly if there's a trauma history on board. Does he got ADHD or is he emotionally dysregulated? Mm-hmm. How do I know? I don't because there's not a genetic, I can't take a blood test for ADHD. Mm-hmm. Right. And emotional dysregulation isn't a mental illness. It is something that nobody has walked you through through again and again and again to help you make sense of hard things. Make sense? Right. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So when I assist a child in regulating emotion and it's teachers, it's their parents, their grandparents, their hockey coaches, they're everybody in their community. This is the African proverb, right? It takes a village. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. As parents, we're shitty with our own kids. Yeah. With our own kids, we don't have a lot of talent. We're like, hey, come on. You're not making yeah. a good choice. Yeah. But if your babies came to my house and they lost their minds, I would say, okay, 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 come here. Come here. Come on. Because I, when I have less skin in the game, it is better, it, I'm better able to keep my lid on. Yeah. Absolutely. I love, I I love the less skin in the game. Yeah, absolutely. Right. I, 
I would never judge a parent's capacity to parent on how they interact with their own child. I want to know what you got in the tank when you're handling somebody else's baby. And typically we are very good at this. We Mm -hmm. all are good at co-regulating emotion when I have empathy or compassion for another human being because we're wired for it. The more invested I become with my husband, with my wife, with my uh, child, I want to get them regulated because I put a high quality, we put a high priority in this culture around emotional regulation. We love it when kids are seen and not heard. We love it when people use their words, when they don't get angry. If they have something to say, just explain it. You don't riot. Mm-hmm. You don't break things. You just use your words and you say, well, because it's safer. I know that I have access to logic and your words. When you're dysregulated, it's scary. It's unpredictable. Yeah. And I much prefer, even with my own personal children, when they are happy and they can use their words than when they're throwing a temper tantrum. Because I feel incompetent. I feel fearful for them. I want to fix it for them. Hmm? Yeah, makes sense. The heart of all emotional regulation is I can't tell you how to do it. I can't give you skills to practice. Here's your strategies. Look at me, deep breathe, find an adult, journal. The only way I teach emotional regulation is you have to get dysregulated first and I got to walk you home. Again Mm. and again and again and again. And it does not matter. A kid is a kid is a kid is a kid. If you have ADHD, if you have autism, if you have a neurodevelopmental disorder, if you are low cognitive functioning, every single child, every single human requires the same thing, somebody to walk them home. Mm -hmm. If you are on your plate, you have more things that you're dealing with. You have a trauma history. You do have legitimate ADHD. You do have legitimate OCD. You do have, you're on the autism spectrum. Mm -hmm. That will require more walking home. Because you have a neurological condition that makes it much more difficult to stay present, to stay focused, to stay on track. I love that. I love that. Because what you're saying makes sense even as adults, because Mm -hmm. we didn't learn it as children and our parents did the best that they could. So in adulthood, I remember my days of where I flipped my lid in in boardrooms and in (laughs) executive offices because the emotions were too big and I just could not contain and having somebody walk you home is so critical um, that a lot of us take that for granted. We think, you know, let me listen to a podcast, this one. Let me read a book on it. But I think having that back and forth, that dialogue that you talk about and that connection, that holding somebody is so it just gives me goosebumps. When, when uh, I love it. It's the holding space. And I think it is the biggest superpower that any single one of us with ADHD or not has in the relationships that we hold, either with the people we lead, the teams we are walking home in a cor- corporate world, uh, with our spouses, uh, with our children. Holding space is the biggest superpower and we're all good at it. We forget it though. Do you see? Yes. When we are a leader, when we are a parent, we're often put in positions to fix things. Mm-hmm. What do I do? I don't know what to do. Mom, dad, are you kidding me? We don't have a budget for this. What, what's the plan? Yeah. And we forget this very big skill of holding space, which requires emotional regulation, right? I need to stay regulated when you present your concerns to me to be able to walk you home. I need to say, Kath, okay, look at me. Mm-hmm. These three words allow me to hold space with people that I lead and I love every day. Tell me more. Mm-hmm. Yes. And when I try to fix, particularly somebody who is, uh, you know, on the spectrum or somebody who has ADHD, when I'm like, how would you try this? Okay, just go, like, use a clicker. 
Huh? What, what do you, what do you do something? Get a fidget toy. Have you, like, are you on your medication? What's the hardest part? Tell me more. What's the hardest part? What am I missing? Those phrases allow you to settle your shoulders and really sink into what it, why is this shitty to be in this body that keeps flipping a lot? That I just can't, I get one thing done and I'm on to the next thing. Oh, fuck. What is that? Why yeah. didn't I? Oh my God. Is it noon? How the shit did it get to be noon? Holy shit. Right? Why do yeah. I have to make lists for everything and nobody else has to make lists for it? And this is not, this is dumb. This is dumb is what it is. <laughs> are you listening to my calls, Jody? <laughs> those are the conversations I have. Yeah. Right? So it's yeah. like all of those things, right? And, and what really matters, I think, in it, it's very hard to lean into somebody who has ADHD. Mm-hmm. because there's like a lot of fire typically, right? Even if you're uh, in a, in a pulsive, uh, sorry, if you're just sort of much more um, of a, of a quieter type of person, it really is sort of difficult to fo- follow. Mm-hmm. And this is true at the heart of emotional dysregulation, right? The kids who need it the most, the adults who need it the most are often the hardest to give it to. So you start to get segregated even at an early age of like, oh my God, you can't get your work, sit in your desk. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Right. And there's very few people. When I find like the most blessed EAs on the planet in our education system, I love them because they're the people who understand that when I got a kid who has ADHD under his desk, that she gets really creative. See, and crawls under the desk and says, what's it like under here? Mm. Huh? Now, can we do math while we're laying on our back? Yes, we can. So what happens when you do three times three? Hmm? Yeah. It's not often that your cognitive capacity is lacking. It's your ability to stay connected in that way, right? And I think we're getting better, you know, from, you know, occupational therapy is getting really sort of much more aware of the necessity for that physical input um, to be able to keep kids as regulated from a physical perspective so that I can have access to their prefrontal cortex. You know, we're getting better at that, but we're really still stuck in this generation of behavioral modification. If you're not making a good choice, I'm going to punish you until you do. Mm. If you have a neurological condition, I can't punish ADHD out of you. I can't take away enough shit from you to make you go like, oh, son of a bitch. I need to stay focused. You know, you can't take away enough stuff from a kid to make him be kind. And so regardless of whether I have ADHD or I have just, I struggle significantly with emotional dysregulation. And those two things are very hard to tease apart. The response is the same. I need to connect before I direct right? Look at me. Come here. Come on back. We're going to figure this out one sweet step at a time, mama. Okay. What's our list? What do we need to get accomplished today? Right. And you know, uh, being in a, in a body that has ADHD, uh, it is so much more regulating when you're like, here's my plan. Oh yes. I know I need to do these five things. Got it. Now I'm going to jump from one to four to five, sometimes to two. I really like two. What was three? When you can keep me regulated when I'm married to a partner who understands that there is bliss in all of this stuff and you embody it and you embrace it and you know that you need to be surrounded by people who can say just a second come on back to me right they get the best of the most amazing soul on the planet so how do we identify that in adults how do we identify that in kids Mm -hmm. really the heart of all of this is emotional regulation I love it I could like yeah, yeah, tell me more. So <laughs> let me ask you something about um, trauma and, and, and having a neurodiverse brain. Mm. And how do you, 
what are some of the things that you see that that are healing? So one of the things, the reason I'm going there is uh, there are often um, adults in high stress professions, um, which they will witness trauma. And they also have ADHD themselves because they like that fast moving, like firefighters, for example, right? Police officers, they like that, you know, it's dopamine, boost the dopamine happening. And then they're taking all of this in, they're taking all of it in. I mean, right now with what's going on, what we're seeing with in the U.S., it's, you know, some of my clients are like obsessed with this and they're just all over it to the point is, okay, when do you disconnect? Because I feel like you need to recharge. You need to come back and say, okay, I'm seeing it. I'm taking it on, but now how can I slow down to reflect and be wiser about this? So it almost like indirectly becomes traumatic, but they don't know how to balance it out. Slow it. Yeah. Well, I think, I think here's the issue with trauma. Trauma is a very sexy word right now, uh, you know, particularly in the world of policing and um, for sure in the world of education. And I think it's very difficult to define, which is probably because trauma is such a subjective experience. There's some research that's been beautiful and probably the hallmark of all work in trauma is the adverse childhood experiences work of Vince Felitti and colleagues where they've identified 10 things that if you experience in childhood will later mess you up in adulthood unless you address them. Okay, so we have from a statistical perspective, the top 10 things that we know, if you experience them, will likely lead to significant distress in adulthood. Um, and the research on this is really widely um, accessible. Um, but there are the, the 10 things I'm trying to get them all. Uh, emotional abuse, physical abuse, sexual abuse. If you experience any one of those three, you get a point. Um, living with uh, a witnessing mother being treated violently, if you're mm-hmm. a product of divorce, if you experience physical abuse or, or sorry, emotional neglect or physical neglect, those are two very different things. Um, and if you lived with somebody who um, later went to jail, was later incarcerated, if you lived with somebody who had a mental illness and you lived with somebody who had an addictions issue. So out of those 10 things, if you experienced any of those things before the age of 18, you get a point and you don't mm-hmm. want a point. The more points you have, the, and they're cumulative, right? And they're not, right? They're not divis, div, divisive, right? So it's like it, the divorce you get a point is a point is a point. It's mm-hmm. is as strong as experiencing sexual abuse. You understand? From a, from a data perspective, yeah, no, that makes sense. Yeah. Okay. So from a from a logistical perspective, and so um, what happens is the higher your ACEs score, the more likely it is that you will struggle significantly in adulthood without intervention, without benevolence, without reparative experiences, and you can imagine all of those things really caused emotional dysregulation. And if nobody walked you home through those things, process that trauma, what trauma does is flip your lid. Because when you experience, definition of trauma is this, encoding anything in terror. I encoded a situation with my lid flipped. So there's some very typical things that you know would encode in terror. If your house starts on fire, if you watch your mom uh, get beat up, uh, if you see a gun, you know, all of these kind of things, right? Or you see somebody get shot. There's other times, though, however, that we would assume you're going to encode it in terror, but you're not. You're in a, a refugee camp, right? If I'm an educator and I say this kid, you know, has been, um, a, he's a refugee and for two years, you know, he's lived in this very difficult situation, we assume he's got PTSD, okay? Which may very well be, but he may have experienced, you know, coming through those camps with mom, dad, grandma, 
and everybody was intact and supported. And at night they would all stay together, sleep together. And, and baby would say, uh, is that guns mom that I hear? And she would say, yes, my love, but we're just safe. We're very far away from them. Oh, you just sleep down. Right. And he says, Oh, I want my own bed. And she says, I know me too, but we're going to go on in this adventure and it's going to be beautiful when we get to Canada. So this baby doesn't encode this, although there's ter- terrifying things surrounding this child, this baby is not encoding anything in terror because mom and dad might be very scared. Grandma might be very scared, but they can provide this sense of safety and security for this child. And if I look at benevolent experiences for kids that are race and ace, if you will, it is things like um, having good neighbors. Mm-hmm. It is things like uh, enjoying school, having one teacher who mm-hmm. believed in you. Mm-hmm. Um, having predictable routines and structure at home. All of these things can, because many of us will, all of us, I should say, will, will encode something in terror in our life. Okay, right? but having that other side to kind of balance it out. To process it. Uh, like, I'll give you an example from, like, oftentimes when I work with first responders, this is how I explain it to them, because many of our police officers, firefighters, encode things in terror. And because of the culture in which we raise our first responders, we don't fucking talk about it. Yeah, yeah. Imagine they encode it in terror and it stays like this. So they become hypervigilant, similar to the ADHD brain. They are flipped a lot of the time. Yeah. So you hear a loud noise, right? Yeah. Somebody demands something, you get put back in a situation. Yeah, you're jittery, you're irritable, you lose sense of time and space and all of those things, right? Mm-hmm. How do I process that really means I slow down the body and regulate emotion. I never need to know when I'm processing trauma with anybody, I never really need to know the logistics. The, de- the, the healing is not the details. It is in how the body keeps the score. Bessel van der Kolk wrote a book with that title, The Body Keeps the Score. And he says this, so much of my, any work that I do around trauma really has to do around not what happened, but where did you feel it? That makes sense? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. And I think it's that that issue, particularly, you know, when I'm working with somebody who has ADHD uh, as an adult, it becomes really difficult to slow down long enough to say where you feel it. I don't know. I don't know. Okay, look at me. Right. Mm -hmm. So oftentimes, like I will very much if I'm if we're doing work um, with somebody who has ADHD and they're particularly jacked for whatever reason, having something to drink having something to snack on when we're doing our session. This is not unlike with kids. Uh, you know, how do I sort of keep you engaged so that I can get the best part of your prefrontal cortex so we can start to process some of these things? I love it. What, what you just brought up was so, well, I feel like I'm in therapy now. <laughs> <laughs> I can see the light bulbs. Yeah. In oh, face. yeah. Because for the longest time, um, there has been things in my past, and I've been open about it on, on social media. Um, I was... Uh, raised in in the middle of war and I have experienced that trauma I've experienced uh loss of loved ones due to war and and other things which I won't get into but there's a time where I so what the what comes up for me is resilience versus you experience trauma but you had a village that said they're there we're going to be okay and now I kind of for me the light bulb just went off that sure, they, they actually raised me to be resilient by nurturing me. And, and so I never felt alone as I was going through all this crazy stuff that nobody should go through. Amazing. Amazing. And this is the question I get sometimes, and I'm sure you've heard this too. How did this kid survive a war-torn country yeah, and yeah. come out to be a productive human being in Canada when right, this right. fella had white privilege 
mm-hmm. did not, and he's still, he's a waste of skin and hurting society, right? Yeah. How did you should be broken? Give it, here's why, because the corrective experiences were in place. Weren't in place for the, for the one that struggles, struggles. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I love how it's just the tiniest little things. So even to my listeners that are parents of children with ADHD and they also have ADHD, mm-hmm. you don't have to move mountains in order to be an awesome parent. It's that nurturing and loving and understanding and being patient with them. Goes here's along. The thing, yeah. Here's the thing that really matters the most. If you are a parent who has a child with ADHD, uh, regardless of whether you have ADHD or not, um, is uh, this is our biggest superpower. It's called the light up. Everybody on this planet just wants to know they matter. And the kids who need it the most are the hardest to give it to. Typically, kids who have ADHD are really hard to light up around because they're always doing something wrong. Mm -hmm. They're hanging off the light fixture. They decided they were going to eat the whole bag of Oreo cookies. You were like, I said one. Mm -hmm. Or they, you know, like they're just impish and there's lots of like ideas and they're, they're usually very creative kids are usually very bright kids. And you're always like, I can't keep up to you. Here's what we lose a lot of times because we're often redirecting, redirecting, redirecting. What we lose is the light up, which is this. (gasps) Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. It is that airport reunion response. It is when a baby runs into you like this open arms, how you respond. Yeah. Yeah? Ah! Rarely do we do this nearly enough with our own children, particularly if they have any kind of developmental concern, right? Because oftentimes we are responding. This is not unlike any parent, but often we are responding to the redirection that is required and we forget to celebrate who they are. Mm-hmm. So I've, I've, I've seen some beautiful data with kids around like why it's cool to have ADHD, why it's amazing to have mm. a kid with ADHD, you know, what they bring to your family that, you know, the same old boring kids who have like predictable brains don't bring to the table. Mm-hmm. And I really love that idea. It's like, how do I light up around, you know, my son who is often hanging off the light fixtures is often deciding he's going to create 57 volcanoes with, yeah. you know, like, and you're like, Oh, okay. Right. How do I still celebrate that? How do I light up and and it's like you know I often talk about this my light up has always been over the top my light up is always like if we get to meet in person Kathy I'll be like ah oh yeah there might be like a leg wrap and all those things mm-hmm. my husband's light up my personal husband who I own three children with his light up looks like this just a nod just an, and that is holy mother he loves me you know <laughs> And I know that about him. If I can get the lines on Aaron's, the side of Aaron's face to crinkle up, I know I have just, I mean, this man is desperately in love with me. Yeah. Yeah. And it's this idea of it's not, it is not how you do it that matters. It's if you don't need to be over the top with your children, particularly kids on this ADHD, you know, Mm -hmm. get jacked when you're like "Ah, ah," with them. It Mm -hmm. is this idea. You know, your baby better than anybody on the planet. You know, your wife or your husband better than anybody on the planet. How do you engage in that light up process? How do you say things like this? Do you know how much you mean to me? Sometimes Mm -hmm. I forget to tell you when I'm taking all this stuff away, but I am so lucky to be your mom. Oh, that's huge. If I get teared up, yeah, even somebody telling me that right now. Right? Right? And generally we get suspicious when people are kind, you know? Like when my husband says to me, honey, I just feel so lucky to be married to you. I'm like, what did... What'd you buy? Mm-hmm. Right? The people we love the most are suspicious when we're kind. And so part of the superpower around this is how do we engage in this process? The people who need it the most are the hardest to give it to. And when you have a, a you know, a, a, a not 
neurotypical brain, whatever that means, um, it is often harder to sink in because they're not conventional because they don't, you know, operate in the same way as we'd like people to do. Come to the meeting, be prepared to present, you know, walk away with your list of questions and continue in your way, right? Oftentimes, that's not how we operate. We're like, whoa, sorry, okay. Here's the 57 things that I need you to think about. And um, I think it's like, how do we remember to sort of celebrate and see? And what's remarkable about that is then it slows that prefrontal cortex, even in the ADHD brain, Mm -hmm. it slows that down a little bit. So we have the best access to the things you know, love, lead, all those things that you have up there. Mm -hmm. And I love what you're saying, because as adults, one of the things I talk about with team leaders is when you're seeing a person that's struggling with ADHD, but then they do amazing work in the other side. For example, a salesperson does amazing with sales, but the time that comes to do paperwork, they suck at it. They just can't sit down to submit the expenses and all of that. Having that one or two minutes of, hey, John, you're doing great. You're, you know, you're amazing at sales. Because most of the time they were raised with not feeling like they were good enough, that they did the right things. So there's so much of that. So that one minute of celebrating with that with an adult is huge. Huge. And I think we 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 always underestimate that, you know, like all we want to know. I mean, just think about this in your community. If uh, for relationship knows no hierarchy and it doesn't matter if you are the top corporate CEO or if you are the custodian, mm-hmm. when you are out in a community and somebody comes up to you and says, hey, Kath, I. I saw your daughter yesterday. I just want to tell you, I think she's the most amazing kid on the planet, mama. I don't know what you're doing, but you're doing something right. I just, I just thought you should know, right? Oh, that means the world to me. <laughs> Doesn't it? Oh, yeah. And all of us feel like that. Like it doesn't, and what did it cost me? Nothing. Mm-hmm. How much of my time? Did, zero. And I've just changed the trajectory of your day. Yeah, so absolutely. as a leader, what becomes so critically important is we think, oh my gosh, we say it enough. They know it. No, 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 no. You can never, ever give it away enough, right? I mean, it has to be authentic and genuine. People can smell disingenuity from the parking lot. But it's like, if you really sink into that part about empathy, it is, I can suspend judgment and see what you bring to my team, right? I can Actually, people forget their own strengths. They forget how good they are at certain things. And under stress, they forget all of their goodness. So it's nice to have somebody reflect back to, remember you kick ass at this or that. Right. And oftentimes what you'll get is people will be like, uh, really? Or mm-hmm. like, oh my God, stop. Like, uh, no, we're not. Like, oh, you should really see us at home. If you think my kid is great, you should see him at home. And you're like, I, because we just, we, we don't even know how to take that. It makes Thanks. us uncomfortable, right? Yeah. We just don't even know how to process that information because if we've never heard it before, I mean, my husband just quit his job in December and he's a feedlot nutritionist. So he feeds cows for a living. He fed cows for a living. And he was in the in the industry of agriculture for a very long time. And he came up the stairs to me one day as he started doing some stuff with our team. And um, my executive assistant sent him a message and said, I just thank you for doing that, for getting that organized, you know, whatever. We needed a spreadsheet for something. And she just said, you're amazing, and sent him the email. And he came upstairs and he had tears in his eyes. And I was like, he says he didn't, but he did. And um, he just said, in 15 years in agriculture, nobody's ever told me I'm amazing. Oh. And I was like, okay, we're done, right? You do not, no, 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 no. We're going to create a different culture in the way that we show up for each other because I know I'm going to get more from him. Mm -hmm. I know I'm going to get more from my employees or from the people who are part of our team if I remember to collect before I direct. Yes. It is the hardest work on the planet because it feels like coddling. It feels like, you know, depending on our own trauma history, you know, we we often think that that is... um, 
what's the word? Like sort of um, too much, too babying, right? But like, does everybody need a medal? Like, why do we have to do all these things? You should just know, right? We don't. Yeah, I love it. Jodi, I could talk to you all day. And I know you're <laughs> such a busy lady doing some amazing things in the community. So I don't want to keep you too, too long on here. But thank you so much for giving us the wisdom that you've given around the trauma thing. Oh, my God. You just gave me the biggest gift ever, actually, like, honestly. Mm-hmm. So thank you for that. Um, the Dan Siegel thing, that flipping the lid, you explain it so well. So I will put in the show notes and reference to his. I know he has a couple of YouTube videos on it, but the way yeah, you explained beautiful. it was so good. So thank you so much. I just want to say one last thing. If there's anything about adults with ADHD who were late in life diagnosed, what's one thing that you encourage them to do? Um, I would say drop your shoulders. Just relax into this and know that it is a part of who you are and it is a part of who makes the, that makes you incredibly great, right? And for a long time, you've been trying to not, it's been using probably against you and now, oh my goodness, it's your superpower. Embrace it. Thank you. I appreciate you. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you.